as I was driving down from Minneapolis to this Iowa fall retreat, it kind of started to hit me. I was driving away. I have no clue what to do. Like, I don't know how to actually get this girl to like me at this retreat. This is kind of strange. I felt very, very lost on that drive down. It started with, I had no idea what to wear. So I decided the move was to wear joggers and roll them up to like here. And then I wore dress socks all the way up to here. It was a strange move. I'll be honest, I don't recommend, but it worked out all right for me. I didn't know what I was going to say when I first met her, but I kind of got a plan together. And then Taylor comes up to me, and I kid you not, the first word she ever said to me, hey, Derek, my name's Taylor. I hear we're supposed to get married. I'm like, oh, gosh, my playbook's gone. I was like, hello, my name is Derek, and I like run away and hide for the next day of the retreat. And as I'm hiding, I start to think to myself, I'm screwed. I don't know what to do. I, I shouldn't say screwed. My bad. Anyways, forgive me, Lord. So as I'm feeling lost on this retreat, this other college student who's older and he's married, he comes up to me and he starts to give me some tips. He's giving me some direction and eventually he tells me, do you really want her to like you? This is what you gotta do. You go up to her and you say, I'm not lying here, this is exactly what he said. He said, go up to her and say, hey baby, hey baby, what's your butt smell like? And I'm like, what? That can't be right, right? That has to be wrong. But he's married, maybe it is right. Do I say it? No. So throughout that whole weekend, I'm sheepishly pursuing her, not sure what to do. She starts flirting with me. She completely thought it was a joke, by the way, while she's like, ha ha, I'll flirt with the pastor's little brother. This'll be fun. Joke's on her, I'm her baby daddy now. So who won that game, baby? <laughs> Anyways, so as she's flirting there, I start thinking. I was like, which route should I go here? Should I go for the funny guy? Because that could work. I could crack some jokes. Should I try to get emotional? It's a church retreat. Should I be like, yes, I love the Lord, my God, my Savior, my King, amen. And I will love you too as my bride. See, I could go that route. Then she starts again to flirt a little bit more. I'm like, do I hold her hand? Is that too soon? Do I kiss her on the night of retreat? No, 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 don't do, don't do that at fall retreats. Gosh. Oh, goodness, I was a hooligan as a freshman. Freshman, I love you so much. Anyways, the weekend ends up going well, and we hit it off. And on my way back home to Minneapolis, I start to feel lost again. How do I continue? It worked at retreat, but now what? So I decide I'm going to send her a video of me serenading her with my acoustic guitar. See, I'd asked her, what are your favorite singers? And she told me, she's like, I like Taylor Swift, I like Beyonce, and I like Five Seconds of Summer. So I'm like, okay, I'll do a song of each of them, and then I'll write my own song for good measure. And I can't sing very well, but I go for it. And keep in mind, this is two days after I met her. Do you guys want to see the video? Suit and tie, I can read you like a magazine. Ain't it funny? Rumors fly, and I know that you heard about me. So, hey, let's be friends. Dying to see this one ends. Grab your passport in my hand. I can make the bad guys good for the weekend. So, your love got me looking to graze right now. Your love got me looking to graze right now. Love got me looking to graze right now. Love's never crazy. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. I'm crazy in love. Too soon. My shrink is telling me I've got crazy dreams And also saying I love all the steam She's kind of hot though Yeah, she's kind of hot though She put me on meds Won't get out of my head But you're kind of hot though Ooh, Love of my life this is the song I wrote. Two days. 
Green eyes, what a beautiful sight. See you alright, but may it's story tonight. Oh, oh, I'll wink at you one more time. Wink. Good. Bye. All right. Don't let that bad boy repeat. So clearly I was lost, right? I had no idea how to pursue a girl. That was the most horrifying minute and a half of my life. So I was beginning to start the journey of a lifetime with Taylor. But before I started, I was a little lost. And maybe you can relate to me. Maybe you're starting your college journey and you're not sure what's next. Maybe you have no clue what you're doing. You have no clue how you're going to live in this new world away from home. Maybe you're feeling a little bit anxious as you go into these next school year. Or maybe you're feeling lost being here in Lang tonight. Maybe you don't know how you ended up at this sorority-sounding church group. You're like, I just want a Chick-fil-A, okay? How did I end up here? Thank you for being here. Maybe you felt lost during worship. People are, like, raising their hands and, like, jumping around, and, like, there's, like, a drum solo. You're like, what is happening? This is church. I feel so uncomfortable right now. Maybe this looks very different than what you're used to in regards to a church environment. Or maybe you've actually never really been to church at all, and so being in any kind of Jesus environment has you feeling lost. So maybe you're nervous about college or about Chi Alpha, about this school year, and maybe you're feeling like I was as I went to fall retreat, lost with no clue what to expect or what to do. Luckily for us, in the Bible, Jesus tells a story to these two groups of people who were very lost. So tonight, I want to take you all on a journey. So I want you to imagine that you are back in the time of Jesus. This is around the year 30 AD, and you're in a Middle Eastern patriarchal religious society. And Jesus is around 30 years old, and he starts walking around the countryside teaching things about God. So I want you to picture, this will be really easy today, picture a hot, dry, desert day. It is so hot out. Thank you for coming and bearing the walk. And you see this hippie religious teacher guy, and these two groups walk up. And this is where you come in. I want you to imagine that you are a part of one of these two groups, all right? And you're probably not going to fully resonate with either group. You're probably somewhere in between. But for our story's sake, imagine you are a part of one. So if you come here tonight, and if you're honest with yourself, you haven't really been following God. Maybe you feel far from God. Maybe you're not sure if he exists. Maybe you went to church sometimes, but God's not been that important to you. Or maybe you've never been to church at all. And if you're honest with yourself, your life's kind of defined by doing whatever pleases you. So maybe you come here tonight expecting your college experience to be defined by things like partying, sleeping around, figuring out who you are, just living that college lifestyle that we're preached to is the key to happiness. If that's you, you'd be what we refer to in the story tonight as the tax collectors and sinners. Now hold on. I know what you're thinking. I don't want to be a tax collector or sinner. That sounds bad. Hold up a little bit. Jesus himself actually really liked this group. This is the group of people who tended to be the closest to Jesus. He hung out with them all the time. So if you identify with that group and feel a little bit far from God, good news, Jesus really likes you. Now to the second group. The second group would have been known as the Pharisees or the religious people. These are the ones who kept the law, they followed what God said to a T, and they kind of got upset when other people didn't do so. They had expectations about religion, about God. So if you grew up as a church kid, you did the Sunday school thing, the youth group thing, you went to church camp every summer, and you came to college knowing you're not going to drink or party or do those things, you might relate more to this second group. For me coming to college, that's what I would have identified with. So Jesus pulls these two groups in, and he begins to tell them this st three stories. 
He starts with a story about a sheep that goes missing, and then his shepherd drops everything to go find it. Then he tells a second story about a lady who loses a coin, and she goes crazy searching until she finds the coin. And then we get to our third story, which is where we're going to focus tonight. So again, imagine you're there, hot, dry desert, looking at Jesus, you with your background, your worries, your nerves coming into tonight. And he opens his mouth, and he starts this story. It says in Luke 15, And he said, there is a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. As soon as Jesus would have shared this, the crowd would have gasped. Remember, Jesus lived in a patriarchal society where to disrespect your father was unheard of. So by the younger son asking for his father's inheritance, which is what he's doing right here, he's deeply disrespecting his father. Because you usually get your inheritance when your parents pass away, right? So asking for it early would be really rude in any society, but especially back then in this patriarchal society. And the only proper response from the father would have been to probably disown his son immediately and beat him and send him on his way. That's what the listeners were expecting. But that's not what happens. Our story continues. And the father divided his property between them. He gives him his inheritance. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. Again, the listeners would have gasped. In Jewish society, which is where they were, pigs were the dirtiest things on the planet. To interact with, let alone to eat with pigs, would have been seen as filthy and just wrong. And that's what he's doing. But when the son came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him, he felt compassion, he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. For one final time, the audience would have been shocked. Remember, deeply patriarchal society, father, big deal. He picks up his robe and he runs. Men in that society, they didn't run. Women ran, children ran, not men. But he threw away his reputation to go run after his son. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. They began to celebrate. Our sermon title tonight is The Journey Home. The Journey Home. I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for everything you're going to do. And we thank you for your heart. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. So to recap, the father or the son asks for his inheritance. Somehow he gets it, and then he goes and blows it all, doing whatever the heck he wanted. And this leads him to rolling around with the pigs. So the younger son set off on his journey, thinking that by pursuing whatever he wanted, he would find happiness. He quickly realizes, though, that this dream life is not all it's cracked up to be. The things of this world, they don't satisfy this son. They leave him feeling empty and yearning for home. This is the story of the college experience. You are setting off on a new journey, and you're asking, what will this school year look like? See, we are told the key to happiness in college is to do whatever you want. We're told college is the time where you just need to focus on you, so you can devote your time in college to partying, hooking up, pleasure, living this experience that will be happy if we go out every weekend or, and explore the world. Or maybe that doesn't interest you, but what interests you is the reality that we're told the key to happiness on this journey of college is to succeed 
to perform, to build the best resume. We've got to get great grades, do a ton of internships, because we have to become somebody, right? We have to spend this time building ourselves up so we can be successful in the future. But what our story is telling us tonight is that even though some of those things aren't bad, they leave us feeling empty. Pursuing the world, and by that I mean doing the things not that God instructs us to do, but doing the things that the people around us tell us, they don't satisfy. Living a life all about me isn't enough. We are made for something so much greater. We are made to live in the design of our creator, God. He designed the universe, right? If God truly created everything, he probably knows the best way to live in our world. See, the journey to the world, it never satisfies. I promise you that if you devote your time in college to just seeking pleasure, success, focusing on you, you're not going to look back on these four years satisfied. You'll be just glad it's over. This is why people rush through college and try to take 55 credits a semester, because they just want to get over it. Deep down, we know the world doesn't satisfy. That's why when we wake up the day after partying hungover, we're not like, thank you, I'm so glad I have a pounding headache. This is joyful. Thank the Lord. No. The journey to the world just leads us to rolling around with the pigs. In the fifth grade transition, I got the glory of playing on this incredible tackle football team. And I got to live out my dream. I was the starting quarterback. I had arrived. Come on. The season goes on and we're undefeated. We destroy every single team. I'll be honest, I didn't do much. We had a running back who hit puberty when he was like four years old, and he did most of the work. We get to one of our last games, and the other team is good. They're really good. They shut down the running back. So we got to try something new. So it's my time to shine, baby. Coach calls the plays. We got to throw the ball. So I'm ready. I'm a little nervous, but it's time to show I'm a man. I am a man and ready to play. All right. Set, huh? take the snap, go to throw it, and two things happen simultaneously. Number one, I'm crunched by this man-child. He was probably 6'10", 400 pounds at 12, and he destroyed me. And I felt so much pain, I cried on the ground of the football game. It was horrible. I still feel a little bit of pain once in a while. But secondly, and much, much worse, my pass floated its way to a defender who picks it off, not only does he intercept the ball, he runs it all the way back for a touchdown. In that moment, when I'm rolling around on the ground with my man-child friend, I start to think, had I blown my chance? Is that it? Am I never going to get to throw the ball again? But then I remembered something. I remembered who I was. Specifically, I remembered who my father was. See, my dad was the coach. And because of my father, my spot was secure. I could not be benched. My mom would kill him if he benched me. So I had no reason to worry. Because I got my spot, not because of my performance. It wasn't because of my ability. I was slow as dirt, uncoordinated, did not have a good arm. I looked like this, if you want to show that picture. Yeah, that's me on the left. So I bleached my hair a lot. Don't in the chubby cheeks anyways. Thank you, Lord. And this isn't fair, right? I'm sorry if you were the kid who was passed up for a much better or like a worse athlete because he was the coach's son. I know, coach's kids are the worst. Anyways, my position, though, wasn't because of my performance. I got it simply because of who my father was. And in my moment of failure, all I had to do was remember who my dad was and I'd be good. And that is the position our son finds himself in when he's rolling around with the pigs. He gets to this low point and he has an idea. He remembers who his father is. He knows his dad has more than enough, so he comes up with this plan. He's going to go to his dad and beg for forgiveness, beg for an opportunity not to be his son, but to be a servant in his house. So he works up the courage, he plans out a beautifully spoken apology, and he starts his journey home. But our story tells us that while he was far off, 
The father sees him and he runs to him. His son starts to squeak out this apology, but the father cuts him off quickly and says, my son, my son. Quickly, servants, bring the best ring in the robe. My son is home. It's time to celebrate. And by giving his son a ring and a robe, he's restoring him back to his family. See, the father doesn't just take his son back as a servant. No, he takes him back as a son. He doesn't have to grovel or make up for his mistakes. No, in the middle of his mess, the father takes him back home. And the father in our story represents God. And the younger son, he represents that first group, the tax collectors, sinners, people who are far from God. Our story is telling us that even if we're far from God, even if you feel like you screwed up too badly, you don't have to clean up. You don't have to figure your life out before coming back to God. See, listen to this, Chi Alpha. It is impossible to screw up too badly and lose your place at the Father's house. No matter what you've done, all you have to do is get up and start your journey home to God, and he will run to you, and he will clothe you with his ring and his robe and welcome you back as his son or daughter. You didn't, you're not too far gone. God has a plan for your life. See, it's clear that this first son was lost, right? He was far from home. But much to the surprise of Jesus' audience, he wasn't the only son that was lost. See, our story has a second act. It says this, continuing on in Luke 15. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants, and he asked, what do these things mean? And the servant says to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he received him back safe and sound. But the older son was angry. He refused to go in. His father comes out and treats him too. He answers his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, that you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It's fitting to celebrate and to be glad. For this your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost, but now he's found. See, while the younger son was lost because he ran away from his father, the older son was equally as lost because he stayed home for the wrong reasons. The older son stayed with his father to put him into his debt. He thought that if he did all the right things, then his father would owe him an inheritance. He didn't stay home because he loved his father. He did it to earn something. So when the younger brother comes, having royally screwed up, he's angry. My brother didn't earn a party. And this leads this older son to be equally disrespectful to his father by avoiding this party. But the father loves him so much, too, that he leaves the party and he runs after him, too. And he says, please come join the party. The son responds by saying, I never got a feast. But then the dad says, my son, all I have is yours. You have me. What else do you need? Please come back in. And at this moment, remember, back in Jesus' day, the audience is on the edge of their seat. What's this son going to do? And then Jesus stops the story. Jesus does this to show the audience that this can be us with God. That we're outside the party and God wants us to come in. See, maybe if you grew up in the church, you've done the right things, went to church every Sunday, you didn't go out and get wild in high school, behaved as a good Christian, but maybe, just maybe, your motivation behind it wasn't quite love. Maybe it was obligation. Tim Keller says in his book, Prodigal God, religious people commonly live very moral lives, but their goal is to get leverage over God, to control him, to put him in a position where they think he owes them. See, for Jesus followers, if you're a Jesus follower tonight, the question you have to ask yourself is, why do you obey God? 
Is it to get God or to get something from God? Do we think if we're a good Christian, then we're owed a good life? Do we feel the need to perform to put God in our debt? See, both the younger son and the older son were not interested in the father. They both just wanted his things. The younger son was just a little bit more honest about it. Both these sons were lost. One got lost by not following any of the rules, and the other son got lost by following all the rules. The older brother thought if he kept the rules, he could be in control. He could earn his place with the father. He thought he could earn his home. And we do the same thing with God. We strive to earn our place. But when we do this, as Christians, when we just seek to earn it, we're actually becoming our own savior. Tim Keller says it in this. If, like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus might be your helper, your example, or even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. See, the reason that we strive to earn our place with God is because we don't understand God's heart for us. We view God as an angry taskmaster that we can perform for. We'll get smited. But this story is showing us God's heart. This story is showing you the way God feels about you. His heart is one where he loves you. He wants to lavish you with love. Here's the reality. God loves you, but he also likes you. God enjoys being with you. So you don't have to perform for him because he loves you. The older brother in this story, he represents the second group the religious people, the Pharisees. They thought they had to earn their place with God through morality. And this made them very lost. So if you feel like you've, if you're honest, been like the older brother, you've been trying to measure up, to earn God's love, be the perfect church kid. If your relationship with God is defined by striving, God is begging you to see his heart for you. You don't have to be your own savior. God loves you even in the middle of your sin and brokenness. Get this. God is big enough to save even you. You don't have to perform for him. Because the journey home, it can't be earned. I completely understand this struggle. I grew up going to church every Sunday. I didn't go out and party. I didn't do stuff with girls. I was that good church kid. And this continued my whole childhood where I thought I was earning God's love because I was good. I became even judgmental of my friends. I know none of you guys would ever do that. But I became judgmental of my friends when they swore. I'm like, how dare you say the D word in the house of our high school? It's okay. Anyways. But if I'm honest with you guys, my life with God was anything but a celebration. So I never spent time with Jesus on my own. I didn't necessarily get a ton of life from my time with God. But mostly my relationship with Jesus was about me performing to earn his love. I was the older brother, seeking to put God in my debt, seeking to see what God could give me, following God so I could get a good life and a ticket to heaven. Not seeking God to get God. So I relate to those of you who might relate to the older brother, who feels like you've had to earn and perform for God. I relate. But then, during my senior year of high school, I started to relate to the younger brother. During my senior year of high school, I got into my first real relationship with a girl, and we crossed a ton of sexual boundaries. And over this year, I never had like a, a eureka moment where I woke up one day, I'm like, I am so sinful and broken, God forgive me. That never happened for me. And so if you've never had like a big moment, it's okay. Life with God might be a process and a journey where you're going with him, so it's okay. But during this summer, 
before my freshman year of college, I just started to slowly realize that I was journeying away from God. I was stepping away from God. I wasn't listening to him. And for the first time, I started to realize, wait, I'm not earning God's love anymore. I started to realize my own sinfulness. And over that summer, I started to understand the reality that, yes, I don't have to earn my place at home with God, but also I couldn't. I was far too sinful. Here's the beauty of Jesus. This is why I've given my life to Jesus. Because in the middle of my own brokenness, in the middle of my lowest moments, I actually met the real Jesus. Oh, the real Jesus. The real Jesus might be a little bit different than what we're told. Because the real Jesus is one who loves you right where you're at, but he doesn't let you stay that way. See, during that first Kai Alpha Fall retreat where I met Taylor, I also started to meet Jesus in a different way. I started to realize that he loved me even though I screwed up. I started to realize that even though I was far more sinful than I could ever imagine, I was also at the exact same time more loved than I could ever dream. And this started me on a journey, a journey where I didn't have to strive after God to earn my place with him but a journey home to just being his son. I want to take you on a journey back to our time with Jesus just one more time. If you remember, I told you that Jesus told these two groups three stories. In the first story and the second story, there's a character who chases after the lost thing. See, the shepherd chased the lost sheep, and the woman chases after the lost coin. So I want you to imagine that you're sitting there listening to Jesus' story. You hear the first story. Lost sheep, shepherd chases after it. Lost coin, woman chases after it. Lost son, like where's the person who chases after him? Because in our story, if you remember, when the father ran away, or the son ran away, no one went and got him. He just squandered his living. And so you're starting to be confused. You're like, wait, Jesus, where is the person who's supposed to chase after him? There should be a character, maybe like a good older brother who leaves his home to chase after his little brother, but that character's missing. Why did Jesus do that? Jesus is leaving room for himself in the story because Jesus is that good older brother who chases after us. See, when we run from God, Jesus chases us down to bring us home. But we can't miss this. In order for this brother to bring us home, it's going to cost him everything. Here's what I mean. So imagine if our story would have had a good older brother who goes and chases his little brother back and takes him back home. We have to realize that when the younger brother, when he took his inheritance and he went and wasted it, he left the father with a smaller bank of inheritance, right? In this time period... The older brother would get two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger brother would get one-third, all right? So the younger brother takes his third, and he goes and wastes it. But then when the younger brother comes back home and he's restored to the family, he's restored his right to an inheritance. But there's less of an inheritance left, right? So if a good older brother went and chased his little brother down, he's making his own inheritance smaller. He's paying for the younger brother to come back home. His restoration to the family does cost someone. Because see, the journey home, it comes with a cost. When Jesus chases us down, 
takes, he's on a journey back to the Father. It costs him something. See, here's reality. Reality is that God is perfect. And when we sin, we kind of take a step away from God and another step and another step and another step. Because our imperfection cannot coexist with his perfection, right? Perfect things and the imperfect things do not mix or else it'll make the perfect imperfect. So every time we sin, we separate ourselves from God. And something has to make up for that separation, right? Really, our sin is a crime against God. And according to Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So, if you put this together, the price for our sin, the price for our separation, it's death. We deserve death and separation from God. But here's when the story gets good. I want you all to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine that you're in a courtroom, and you are on trial for a crime, and you know that you are guilty. You did it. You're guilty, and you deserve the punishment, and you know that the correct punishment for your crime is the death penalty. So again, you're sitting there, and the judge walks up to his judge's stand, says, the verdict is in. Guilty on all charges. And your punishment is death. As you start to be filled with terror, you see something peculiar start to happen. The judge gets off his stand and he walks right in front of you and right before the bailiff's gonna handcuff you and take you away, he puts his arms out and he takes the handcuffs that you deserve and he's taken away to pay for your penalty. You can open your eyes. This is Jesus. Jesus takes the penalty that we deserve. We deserve death, but Jesus loved us so much that we don't have to pay it. See, Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect life, but then he died the most brutal death imaginable on the cross. Jesus is the only person who should not have had to pay this penalty, but he does it and bears the weight of our sin. He takes the punishment we deserve, but Jesus didn't just take our death. He defeated it. Three days after Jesus died on a cross, he rose from the grave and he conquered sin and evil. Jesus proved he's bigger than all of our brokenness from rising from the dead. So guess what? You're not too far gone. Maybe your senior year didn't look quite the way you wanted it to. Maybe you grew up in church, but then you caught yourself doing things that you said you would never do. And maybe you came to college, and maybe in your first weekend you did things you said you were never going to do. And maybe as you look to your college experience, you're kind of scared that you can't keep following God. You're scared, how am I going to do this? How am I going to pursue the things of God? But the world is so entrenched around me. How am I going to resist going out and partying and doing all these crazy things? But God is saying in the middle of your brokenness, in the middle of your worries and anxieties, I'm coming after you. Jesus loves you, and he's going to get you right where you're at. Jesus is bigger than anything we've ever done. And when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave and conquered death and sin, what he really did was he bought us a ticket. He bought us a ticket for the journey home. Now we have a ticket and we can journey back to our heavenly father and take our rightful place at home with him. 
Here's the beauty of Jesus, Kyle. When we take this journey home, what we find on our arrival is not someone who's saying, you better pay for what you've done. No, what we find on our arrival is a feast. God has prepared a party for us. Life with God should be a place of joy and delight. The feast is ready. He's asking you, will you sit down and eat it? Life with Jesus is not about following rules in order to earn your way to heaven. You can't earn that ticket. It is impossible. But life with God is actually about realizing just how much that ticket cost Jesus to buy. When we realize that that ticket back to God cost Jesus everything, that should mess with us. When we realize that it cost Jesus everything, we start to obey him and give him our life, not out of obligation, but out of gratitude because we're so grateful. Jesus, Jesus, how could you give everything for me? If you will give everything for me, then how dare I not give you back my life? And in that moment, we devote everything to God. And in that moment, we decide that when you're looking at your college, he's gonna get your college experience. These next few years, you're not going to pursue the world. You're not going to pursue the college experience, pursue your own glory, because Jesus deserves your time in college. Jesus deserves this journey you're embarking upon. And when we agree to let Jesus himself guide our journey, well, we embark on the journey of a lifetime. The main idea tonight is the journey of a lifetime starts with going home. So our story tonight, it ends. But now yours begins. What are you going to do? What's the school you're going to look like for you? What's your college going to look like? Some of you are here tonight, and if you're honest, you relate to the older brother. You grew up in church, and you know the right things, but if you're honest, your life with God has not been a feast. It's more about following rules, doing the right things to earn something, to put God in debt maybe, and God is asking you, will you take this journey and just come feast with me? God is saying, will you just sit down and eat? See, Jesus wants your walk with him to be full of life, not obligation. Jesus has such a plan for your time in college. That's why I do this job, because I think Jesus can use college students to change the world. I think Jesus can use you to change our campus. I think you are here at UNI not just to get a degree. I think you're here at UNI to make a bigger impact than you could ever imagine. And Jesus wants to do something powerful through you. But before we can let him, we have to see the Father's heart for us. The reason that we try to obey God and earn things from God and work for God is because we don't understand God's heart towards us. God's heart towards you is one where he loves you so much. So first we understand his heart and accept that payment and then we're going to go change the campus. Amen. Others of you might relate more to the younger brother. Maybe you've been running far from God and he's asking you to come home. God's asking you to give your life to him, to devote your time in college, not in pursuing the world, but in pursuing Jesus. Because see, Jesus bought your ticket. Jesus wants to give you eternal life with God and pay for all your sins. He bought your ticket, but he's not gonna force you to take the journey with him. 
it's up to you to take it. It's up to you to submit your life to God and commit that you're going to go on this journey of a lifetime with God. And if we do this, Kai Alpha, if we will commit to journeying with Jesus while we're in college, we will live a life worth living. Life with Jesus is the greatest journey in the world. Jesus will do so much in you and through you, and I promise you, if you give your life to God while in college, you will not regret it. If you devote your time in college to journeying with Jesus, not only are we going to change our campus, not only will you live a life worth living, we'll get to go on the journey of a lifetime. Would you all stand with me? Something we like to do at Chi Alpha is we like to give opportunities to respond to what God is doing in our hearts. And so I'm going to ask two different questions, and I want you to respond if any of them are speaking to you. So if you're here tonight, and if you're honest with yourself, your life hasn't been devoted to God, and you haven't really taken that ticket back to the Father, but you want to. If you want to take a journey back to Jesus and give your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are my Lord, what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Not so people around you can look, but sometimes we need to actually do something to take our ticket, right? And so Jesus wants to give you an opportunity to take that ticket and you will receive a beautiful life and forgiveness for all your sins. But he's asking you to do something about it tonight. So that's you. I'm going to count to three. And the count of three, I want you to raise your hand boldly saying, Jesus, I'm taking that ticket. One, two. all across the room. Come on. I'm going to pray for us, all right? Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for paying the price for our sins, for paying the price for us to come home to you, God, that we don't have to perform, but Jesus, you have bought our tickets, and thank you for new members of your family, God. We love you so much. Amen and amen. That's awesome. Come on. I'm going to give a second way to respond. If you're here tonight and you kind of related to that older brother and you feel like you've been following God, but it hasn't quite been a feast. It's been more a to-do list with Jesus. And you want to change that and you want to sit down and eat at the feast. What I'm going to ask you to do right now is just to put your hands like this as an opening to God. So go ahead, if that's you and you want to sit down at the feast with God, open your hands to him right now and we're going to pray over this. So let me pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you that we can feast with you, Jesus. Thank you that we don't have to earn our way with you, God, but that you've already done all the work. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen and amen. We're going to worship together with one last song. And I encourage you, if God is doing something in your heart, talk to someone about it. All right? You may have came here with someone. Maybe you came here with a small group leader with one of those badges. They would love to talk to you about it. We'll also have some people in the back of the room that would love to pray with you. If you want to go pray during this final song, you can do that as well. But don't let this just be a moment where you encounter God right now, but it doesn't change anything. Let's see your life actually change for King Jesus. Amen. This is going to be the greatest year in Chi Alpha history. I firmly believe it. This is a room of world changers. Get ready for what God wants to do in you. All right, let's worship together.